Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Boco Gear, a Boulder-based custom headwear company named after Boulder, Colorado. Boco Gear was founded by Kay Martin and born out of her learnings during her more than 25-year career in the outdoor industry. If you've been running trail or ultra races for, for the last few years, there's a pretty high chance you own a Boco hat or two. I have almost a dozen of the hats, and they're definitely my favorite headwear, and early in the pandemic, they even started producing high-quality face masks. Check them out at bocogear.com, that's B-O-C-O gear.com, and there's a style for everyone. Make sure to grab 20% off any non-sale item with the code FTLR on their website. Welcome back. I have Caroline Burkle on the podcast today. Caroline, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Yes, thank you. We finally made it happen. It's been a (laughs) hot minute, but here we are. (laughs) COVID be damned. Um, Yes. So so first question, uh, who is Caroline? Oh wow! And and, oh. and I've been you know, I I've started asking this question and thinking about this conversation. I was like, I'm so excited to ask Caroline this question. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Amelia warned me. She said, "Jonathan has some really good brain busters, so you better be ready." And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I guess I'll be ready for it. Um, you know, you asked that question, and it's interesting because just the other day I was asked the same question. And my first impulse is that I don't have a definition for for myself is that I don't like to be defined or put into boxes of anything that I would like anything I say feels like I'm just saying it because I feel like I have to. Right. Um, so my answer to that is I am an ever changing, ever evolving human that has about a thousand interests and a thousand things that I am curious <laughs> about and want to embark on in my life because I, I, I do. And I feel that I'll be growing and changing forever. So it's like to define myself as one thing isn't even accurate. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's not the, not the answer <laughs> you want. I'm sure. No, I'm sure we'll chat. We'll chat through a handful of those things. Um, so <laughs> we'll back up and I love the story of how we got connected um, it was, it was a, a warm day in Northern California in 2016, I believe. And, uh, you and Amelia Boone, I, I think Amelia was wearing a, a lion suit. Is <laughs> yeah. that, is that accurate? She had a, the, I think she's Simba, right? Uh, right, right, right. Uh, yeah. And I was, what was I doing? I was I there think we were just her? hanging out with Simba. Yeah, exactly. With Simba, I was hanging out. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I wasn't running at the time. I think I was recovering from my first broken heel. Maybe. I don't even remember. And, oh, that was before. That was before. Yeah. This was 20, this was 2016. And then I yeah. go running by with my taco socks on <laughs> and, and apparently the story goes, you said something along the lines of like, I think I know that guy and I follow him on Instagram. I, I don't know, something like that. We got to talking about, um, or I actually hadn't met Amelia yet. That's that's what it was, and um, we all somehow connected afterwards 
thanks to Amelia and David talking about rest day brags. And we, we've, we're the three best friends that anyone could have ever since. <laughs> yeah. We started rest day brags. I remember, and I totally fell off the bandwagon with it because I was <laughs> going through a lot of stuff that I didn't even know how to express, but it was a really cool synergy. You know, I met Amelia actually at a mind body green conference ages ago and we became friends through that and stayed in touch, uh, had a lot of similarities and a lot of mutual friends. So we, you know, became close. And then I went to that race and I met you. And I remember I also, um, did some ridiculous obstacle course at that race. Do you remember that? It was like the, the fun and games at the end of it or something. And we did well, this. Well, the like, bus the bus ride was a pretty wild obstacle. Well, I don't remember what it was, but it was like me, Hunter, uh, Rory. Was I'm Rory was there, or at, am I thinking of a different the, race? So this was this was the North Face fifty. Um. So I'm not. I'm not. I don't. I'm I don't remember any, any obstacle. You were there for sure, but we did this like funky thing at the end. I don't. It wasn't, it's, it wasn't a sanctioned race. It was like some stupid little, not stupid. It was just some hilarious, funny prank thing that we did. And we had to like run with like bells and whistles on and like eat a bunch of donuts and then run again. And it was like in between the racing and we were just over in the corner playing these games. So I think you may have been running. (laughs) <laughs> and we, were, and we were not so um but anyway that that's neither here nor there the bottom line is that we all became friends and um swimmer and two runners which is a unique combination but also have a lot of similarities between the sports so for sure well I, i'm gonna have to find what that race was because that sounds fun but i forget so, so we we originally connected around rest day brags and you were going through a period of your life where um, you were finding a lot of, uh, value and, and, um, fulfillment in like sharing your struggle with rest. So do you want to sort of set the stage with, um, so you were recently on rituals podcast and you talked about your experience at the 2020, 2012 Olympics and, um, a line that you, you said really resonated. You, you said you felt like that was the start of your life mm-hmm. um, after the Olympics. So where, yeah. what did that journey look like, you know, in, in the days, weeks, and and few years after 2012? Well, uh, so you're referring to, cause I went to 2008 Olympics, but I went to my brother's 2012 Olympics and that felt, I mean, that right, was right, a whole, right. Yeah, that was a whole um, emotional experience as well, just being a, a, a spectator at a sport that you just retired from, which was really, really right. difficult, obviously. Uh, yeah, I felt like my life began when I ended sport, which is really interesting because I really loved my life during sport as well in so many ways. Um but I was a very resilient athlete, even though I was a very uh, sensitive athlete. So, you know, I, I couldn't overtrain a lot when I was swimming. Like I would get very broken down all the time. Uh, I, I had a really difficult time 
recovering and nothing ever (laughs) really made sense to me as to why for so long. Uh, And then I retired and I just kept charging. It was like I was running and, and, you know, trying to find my identity and work through so much trauma that I had gone through and so many different experiences that I just didn't stop. And not only did I not stop, I wasn't nourishing myself properly. And I ended up just injury after injury after injury when I retired swimming. So I didn't even really have any injuries when I was swimming. I was, you know, resilient enough to push through. But I think when it got to a certain point when my body finally told me you need to stop. And it was a very, very, very tough relationship with uh, with that because in my mind, that meant that I was an absolute failure, you know, stopping and actually not achieving anything and not curating the most perfect experience and the most accomplished you know, situation was just a total failure in my mind. I wasn't worth a damn thing. Um, and so rest to me meant that I was lazy. It meant that I wasn't focused or driven or, you know, accomplishing really anything. And so I had a really hell of a time with it. Uh, and I mean, it ebbed and flowed. It, I had a lot of issues with it at the beginning because I would rest and not rest long enough um, and end up injuring myself again. But the irony of all of it is that, you know, as I was competing, as I mentioned, and when I was an athlete, I didn't really have a lot of injuries but my body was constantly broken down and overtrained to the point where I just, I needed so much taper and so much rest that once I could sort of connect the dots as to that's the kind of human that I am. And I operate really, really well off of a lot of rest. It started to help me understand that that would carry through my entire life probably. Um, and it's a, it's a place of acceptance at that point. (laughs) You can't really fight it when you can't even walk, you know? So, (laughs) yeah. What was that? One thing you said that, um, was particularly interesting. You said you felt like a failure. Um, what, why? Well, you know, when you go to the Olympics and, you know, if I back up, and go through my whole career being at the top of your game and going to world championships and Pan American games and just all these different international meets and then culmination, you know, NCAAs and then the Olympics. It's like your life is, you're made to achieve. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. Um, Hell, I want to achieve my whole life, but my identity was so wrapped up in it that I was so attached it was an unhealthy attachment instead of an unhealthy or, you know, instead of a healthy pursuit. Um, were you, and, were you satisfied? Yeah. Were you satisfied at any point along the way or was it, was it simply the goalposts were always moving and always um, just right in front of your nose? I was for sure satisfied. Actually, my mo- my proudest moment was NCAA is my senior year when I broke Janet Evans, 18 year old American record. And I was, you know, 
not even tired at the end. And I'll never forget that race. Cause I'm like, why the hell can I just have that? <laughs> like, why am I not tired? Because I'm tired. I was yeah. dog tired every other race I've ever done well. And so it's like, why I had so much more left in the tank, but I think that was sort of the, the sign that the Olympics a couple months after, you know, and, and trials and stuff were going to be really successful. Um, cause I had more left in the tank, but I was really proud of myself there. I think though, upon reflecting, if I could have learned anything else during my athletic career, it would have been, how can I, um, achieve for internal validation versus just achieving to make sure that I was doing what I needed to do externally. Uh, which is interesting cause I didn't really need a lot of praise or anything. It was just that I, I needed accept, like in my mind being accepted and being loved for my achievements was the ultimate success. So it goes a little deeper for me. Like I kind of had an abstract relationship with it. It wasn't like the medals and the winning and blah, blah, blah. It was like, if I succeed, I will be loved more. <laughs> and if I succeed, I will please somebody and they'll love me more and I will make them happy. And you know, if I could change anything, that's probably no regrets, but so many lessons. But if I could change anything, it would probably just be understanding that internal validation that I definitely had, but that I was sort of pushing down. I think that's fascinating. It's, it's, it allowed you to achieve so much. And I think that there are these motivations that once you figure out how to pull on the right strings, anything becomes possible. You could do anything back then. You could do anything now because I think you know what motivates you now and you know healthy habits and healthy routines that allow you to stay healthy and happy, more importantly. And it's just fascinating to, to see just how how much those evolve. A question that I've, I've started to ask pretty frequently um, with a lot of current professional athletes or Olympic level athletes is fast forward five to 10 years. And what are you, what are you really proud of? And what's been fascinating to ask these, to, to hear these athletes say pretty much 90% of the time, there's no tangible outcome. It's, mm -hmm. it's an experience or it's a, I'm, I'm pursuing excellence and I've gotten better or it's um, I laid the foundation for a, a team, um, a team environment that's thriving now. So I'm less interested in the Caroline of the 2010s and what she would have said if I had asked that question then. Let's fast forward to 2021 and fast forward again, five, 10 years. Um, what would you be really proud of in five to 10 years? Of myself right now? Yes. I'd be proud of acceptance. And I think that I, yeah, acceptance. I've resisted for so long to love the sport that gave me so much. I've resisted so much about it. I've resisted you know, succeeding. I've resisted being called an Olympian. I've resisted, uh, feeling proud of myself. I've, res I've resisted the things that I wanted so badly and the things that I craved to, to receive, which would be, you know, uh, approval and pleasing and all these things are the things that I also pushed away. 
which is the most interesting part about it is that I, I often think that the things that we want the most are also the things we're the most terrified of. And so I think that I really, really wanted this feeling of acceptance in my life and, and to feel seen for who I am as a human, even though I was succeeding in sport. And so I'm just proud of acceptance now of acceptance of the way that I am as a human being, the way that I competed, the way that I operate into this world, that I don't have to fit another mold in order to be successful, that I don't have to do things in order to be loved. You know, I can just simply be myself. Um, Oh, I could go down that rabbit hole forever because there's so much power in thinking back to like 17 year old Caroline, 18 year old Caroline, 19 year old Caroline, and how badly I just wanted to be loved for me. But I thought that if I achieved, I would be loved you know, so it's like this tough way of thinking here. Um, I think that's so relevant because yeah. I had I did a podcast with Scott Fobble and he's a very fast marathoner. And one of the things that we were talking about was he had a conversation. I think he was talking about his girlfriend and his own pursuit of a 208 or 209 marathon. And he was like, look, if I don't, if I don't, achieve that goal, my girlfriend's still going to love me. Like I'm still going to be able to show up for those in my life that matter most. And they just don't care. And I think as you're saying, getting to that place is so powerful, but it's so hard. So I'm curious, like I'm guessing that a lot of people listening to this have or are currently struggling with the exact same thing. I struggled with the same thing. I chased the, the, um, Boston qualifying marathon for four years. I ran a three thirty yeah. first marathon, and I wasn't satisfied by it. And mo- many people will never run a marathon that fast. And I was not satisfied. I thought people were, you know, oh, that's slow. Oh, you know, you should do better. Um, and I cared. I cared too much about the time and what the time meant. And I couldn't. I couldn't actually achieve the time that I wanted to until I stopped caring about the time. Mm. And your story, by the way, is just so powerful and seeing everything that you've done in order to achieve that and also watch you from my shoes, you know, go through injuries and different struggles and just seeing yourself uh, go through this experience. It is powerful to watch it on the outside and see the resilience and see the depth of understanding yourself. And like, look, a lot of athletes will come to me and say, how do I overcome this? Or how do I do this? You know, how, how do I prevent this from happening? Or how do I love myself more of this? Or how do I do this? And it's, it, first of all, there's no one size fits all answer for each individual. But the interesting thing about our brains and our bodies are that we already know you know, like we already know deep within us what the answers are. We're just, we're not listening enough or we're trying to dissect and analyze instead of tune in and utilize. And I think, you know, there's, it comes to a point where when asked those questions or like, how can I become a better, you know, person for myself? And how can I just like understand that at the end of the day, it's just so that I can love myself. It's, it's literally just, that, like having to say those things over and over 
again to yourself and understand that exact concept. Like I am a human first and what I do is my sport. And those, those two lines are so powerful because it allows us to do two things. It allows us to accept ourselves and love ourselves and see ourselves. And it also allows us to continue to strive for what we want and compete at a high level and know that that's still okay, that you want to kick ass and take names. Like there's, you're not going to lose your edge by accepting yourself. And I think that is the main thing that I sort of drive home to myself and to other athletes is, you know, by accepting yourself as a human being first and and really working on loving the person that is doing the sport, you're actually giving yourself more ammo in your sport because you're filling your body up with energy, you know, that is needed. And, and also like, that's not going to take away your competitive edge. I love that so much. I think it not only won't take away the competitive edge, it makes you dangerous in a good way to to your competitors, to your ability to improve and get the most out of your body. Because when you get to that place of acceptance and like, I get to do this, I am happy when I do this, Mm -hmm. everything becomes, how do I sustain this versus how do I extract more value or more speed or more efficiency or like it becomes qualitative like how do I do it for as long as possible versus how do I do it as good as possible right now which is wildly unsustainable right it's such a powerful thing to really sink into because there's a lot of controversy around athletes needing to only focus on their sport to be successful and they can't think about anything else or have anything else in life or they don't deserve anything else or that's the thing that will make them successful or they're not, you know, uh, worthy unless they do X, Y, Z. And there's a lot of resistance to just love yourself as a human because what would that mean? And that's, I mean, that's a powerful question. Like anyone that's listening right now, like what would that mean if you loved yourself as a human? And your sport didn't define you in that way. Like, what would that mean for you as an athlete? Does that mean you're not paying enough attention to your sport? Does that mean you're not dedicated enough? Does that mean, you know, and the reason I'm saying this is because these were all the same stories I told myself for so long. You know, like I have to do this in my sport and succeed and prevail and win and all these things to be loved. Because if I just like love myself as a person and if I don't have this and I'm absolutely worthless, I'm not going to succeed. Like that's not success. And yeah, I think we can look at Michael Jordan and we can like look at these great athletes and, you know, say, oh, well, they were just like, you know, 200% in every moment of every day of every breath that they took. And the answer is for sure, right? And also look at what they're talking about now. This exact conversation to where I think I could have had a little more of an awareness on who I was as a person, you know, and also achieve what I achieved. Like both are possible. It's not an either or thing. It's an and like both things are possible. It doesn't take away from it. Um, 
you know, it's just, it's just the matter of what you're shining your flashlight on in that moment. Like, what are you focusing on? Can you turn it on and off, you know, and, and learn those skills. And that is the beauty of how powerful our brains and our bodies are. I love that. I think that it comes down to goals and success and the definition of success, which definitely evolves. Um, I, so another, it's another one I've, I've started asking more what, and we've, you've sort of alluded to it and, and talked about it a bit, but I'm going to ask a little more directly. Um, what, what does success mean to you today in 2021? Mm. That's a fantastic question today in 2021. I think I've had to reevaluate. Just surviving. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say today, <laughs> 2021, my, my answer for that is drastically maybe different than I would have ever even imagined. Um, my but that's day, important to consider too. Uh, totally. Exactly. Uh, and how, again, going back to what I said at the beginning, it's like the evolution, right? Like I'm a million different versions of myself. Like, I, you know, you're going to have different versions of yourself, but what's the thread that, that goes through all of them that you can work on and improve and strengthen. Um, honestly, success to me now is staying with something. So I've spent my life running around and yes, I've built a business, you know, yes, I've done that for five years so far. It's been wonderful with my business partner and our team, uh, that's been the steadiest thing I've had since swimming. I moved eight times. I've lived in all these different locations. I did a million different things to my body. I kept chasing the same patternings with you know different relationships and friendships and all these things. And I, I just was running from everything. I couldn't sit still because I didn't want to face the things that I was working on. And so now to me, success is sticking with whatever I'm doing and pursuing it to its fullest, like seeing it through and, and not running because running is very, very, very comfortable for me. Like I am very safe when I just, Oh, it's time to go. Got to leave. Like, go. Oh, you know, do you know how many times I've wanted to move from LA in the past four years? A million. But I told myself that I was going to stay put in this damn place until further notice, because I, cannot keep thinking the grass is greener. And that's been something for me that success means, you know, and, and important to note that our internal work can either be staying with something or making a change. So examples are if you have somebody that is, you know, prone to running from every situation and just like, I got to get out of here. I got to be done with this. Like next, like next, next, like nothing's ever enough. I think the work there is to stay with something and, and stick, see it through and see what happens. That's the, the internal work. And then if you have somebody that's stuck and has been doing the exact same thing over and over for 10, 15 years, their work is to, to up and do something uncomfortable, which would be getting out of that comfort zone. So I don't know if that <laughs> answers your question, but... <laughs> No, it, it does. Um, and it's it's so fascinating that just how much it's changed over time. I'm sure if I asked you this question 15 years ago, it would have been wildly different. Um, and that's that's growth and that's what we want. Um, personally, it's been 
uh, a pleasure and an honor to to watch your own growth. I know, you know, we only met four years ago at this point, but I feel like you've lived 10 lives since then in a, in a good way <laughs> and have become this new person that has all these skills and lessons that um, you're literally passing them on to other people. And it's now your job to do that and facilitate um, the mentorship of, of youth athletes. So where did... Where did Rise come from? And first, what is Rise for those who don't know? Uh, we'll go. We'll start from there. Yeah. Well, before I say anything else, I do want to say that I couldn't have ever done any of these. You know, I, I've leaned on really beautiful people for help, <laughs> and that's been something that has been extremely sturdy for my confidence and for moving forward, no matter how difficult and dark it got in those times. Um, cause it's gotten pretty dark since I retired swimming. So I just want to say that because you're never alone, you know, and 10 lives is, you know, five people per life of <laughs> that have sat there and, and <laughs> held you cry and different things. So, but yeah, so, so back to your question on rise, I, we started it in 2015, like late 14, early 15. And, um, I graduated from graduate school in Knoxville, Tennessee for sports psychology. This was like one of my six pat paths after swimming that finally, you know, I knew I like this one a lot. <laughs> yeah, this one was good. And uh Rebecca Sony, my business partner and friend, she's an eight-time gold medalist and uh and fantastic human, calls me up and says, Hey, you know, we had been in communication the whole time, just trying to figure our lives out after we were done swimming. Uh, she said, Hey, you know, I've been creating this platform for youth athletes where I make a course and videos. And I actually have a couple that I'm mentoring in person. Would you ever be interested in doing that on the side? Like while you work through, you know, figuring stuff out. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is exactly what I want to do. Absolutely. And so a couple more conversations later, her and I started Rise Athletes, which is a mentorship platform for youth athletes led by Olympic and professional athletes. So it's all online. And uh, we have 34, 35 mentors now, uh, hundreds you know, of athletes. And it's been a really beautiful experience to build this platform. Also very challenging and very difficult. It just learning new skills and, and running a business and, um, doing all of the things that that entails. So it has been awesome. And we, you know, obviously we're, we were COVID ready with everything being on zoom already. So, um, it's served us well, especially in this really difficult transition of a year last year. Um, but you know, our, our goal and our mission is to, give youth athletes the tools that we wanted and that we had as professional athletes so that they can navigate not only their sport, but their life. Um, so yeah, it's in essence, a mindset development program. Do you think about your legacy with that? Like you're touching the lives of many, many athletes and Imagine if you had somebody like this when you were 15 
Uh, oh, how I would have loved it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, but think of, think of all of the athletes that get that experience and then they go on to do amazing things and pass on their learnings. Yeah. I think about that. I do. And it's so cool to think, you know, generational thing, generational changes are happening right now, big time. And this is one of them with youth athletes. They're learning all these things that they can then go pass on. But also my legacy with this, like I tell you what, Jonathan, I get so excited about giving these mentors an opportunity as well. So when they're done with sport, they are trained in our program and that they get to go out into the world and find athletes and work with athletes and give back the things that they created and and the things they wanted. And so being able to work with such driven individuals and to see them soar in their life after sport or during sport, whichever one they choose, is so rewarding to me. Uh, I really love helping not only the youth, but just these, these mentors as well. Um, I just, I want to create some change. I want to be that our, our business wants to be the umbrella for youth athletes, like that, that parents and coaches can go to, to have that third leg of support for their youth athlete, you know, psychologically and through mentorship and big brother, big sisterhood and all of the things that that would entail. Um, yeah, it's a powerful, mutually beneficial relationship for sure. It certainly sounds like it. What are some of the, the coolest stories that you've heard from mentors or mentees? Ooh, you know, there's no shortage. Um, we just, we have, I, I have athletes that I've worked with for five years even, you know, and it's super cool. I mean, Rebecca and I work with just a few now, just since we run the business, but, um, some of the other examples, our athletes will have like water polo. We have all sports. So we have like water polo girls working with youth and they climb from being a walk on, on a team in high school to being a starter and getting a scholarship. And the coolest thing ever is seeing an athlete, uh, overcome an injury or something really difficult. Um, you know, gosh, there's just, there's so many, um, but you know, the main ones are coming a lot. We have a lot of stories of like walk on or want to quit. Not sure if I want to do this anymore to rekindling that fire, getting a division one scholarship, going off to college and, you know, it's just, it's like seeing a little baby grow up, (laughs) (laughs) your little kid grow up. And that's, that's the goal. It doesn't have to be anything crazy because, you know, to be honest, we sort of like they, they can work with us in college, but for the most part, it's just high school. So once they go to college, it's like they're off on their own. And that, that's when they really soar and just trusting that we've given them the foundational tools in order to navigate whatever they need to navigate once they get to college as well. That's super cool. 2020 was all about adapting as runners and also in every other aspect of life. As a sponsor of this episode, I'm proud to highlight Boko Gear's face masks, which are a perfect complement to their hats and other headwear. Offering a double layer with a slot for a filter, these masks will help keep you and your community safer in these trying times. With dozens of styles available online, there's an option for everyone. Check them out at bocogear.com and please wear a mask. 
And now back to our conversation. What are some of the um, lessons that you learned as an Olympic level athlete that you've taken to running a business? Time management. Um, I love time management. <laughs> I love it. I, I thrive you're very, on it. You're very good at, at um, blocking and, and dividing how you spend your time, I've noticed. Yeah, I, I really tried that, that a lot. And I've gotten better at boundaries. I wasn't the best for a while. I would work until I was blue in the face and forget that I had a million people to respond to and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, I think I've learned time management. I've also learned to separate work and life. So one of the phrases we had in swimming was leave it on the pool deck. So, you know, leave whatever it was on the pool deck sort of meant uh, bad practice, you know, leave it there. (laughs) Like you can process it, but don't take it everywhere with you for the next 24 hours. Like leave it on the pool deck, come back to it and do better next time and learn what you've learned and process it, you know, in that way. But the, that's really helped. So I can balance like tough work day. Okay. What do I need to do to transition, go on a 30 minute walk, come home, make some art and pick, pick back up, you know? So I used to dwell and dwell and rip my hair out and chew my nails. And it's like, at the end of the day, that's not doing anything. So I've really learned how to transition and put my body into a different state so that I can then come back to it in a better place. Um, I've also just learned to pivot. Uh, at Rise, we've had, you know, months where we're just ripping our hair out as well. Like, what are we doing? This isn't working. Like, we're trying to set up all this stuff. It's not working. And pivoting, 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 and knowing that like a failure or a failed attempt at creating a product or an experience doesn't mean that it's over. You know, a bad race doesn't mean that it's over. Again, you pivot and you and you recreate, change your state and recreate the experience in a way that's going to work. Um, yeah, gosh, you know, there's so, there's so many parallels. I'm sure you notice this too. I don't know if you have that kind of experience where you're like, my gosh, there's so many things that in my running life show up in my work life and vice versa. Like just the way that you are driven, the drive that you have. It's just, there's so many parallels between athletes and employees <laughs> and workers. Yeah, no, it, totally. There was a there was an article in Outside Magazine um, a couple of years ago now that said that endurance athletes make the best employees. Yeah. And it was not like a joke. It was like, here's the evidence and here's why. And it's, it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, you have a goal, you have the, you need to block your time, you need to schedule your time and approach it in manageable chunks versus like trying to eat the elephant all at once. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm in a role where, um, there's a, a quantitative goal. And if I look at the quantitative goal on January 7th, it looks insane, but that's not how you can look at it. You need to look at, you need to look at the, the pieces of the puzzle that you can control to have the outcome that you need. 
that sentence can be said about literally anything in life, whether it's running, whether it's swimming, whether it's work. Um, that's the biggest thing that I've that I've learned from running applied to to work. But then the then there's the the endurance lessons that apply to life. I was talking with my um, therapist on Tuesday, and I've been living alone. Um, I don't know, since March, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah. With the exception of, a, you know, six months living with my parents over the summer, which was incredible. But that basically ended in September and I wanted to move back to Boston and whatnot. And so the conversation that I was having with my therapist was, um, and for context, I'm spending some time in Colorado with my roommate this winter. Mm-hmm. And I have a tangible end to when my extreme isolation, call it, will end. Um, And what I was saying to him was, this is like a marathon. Like I have a tangible end, but it's about to get really painful. And it's dark, it's cold, it's, you know, nobody's doing anything in Boston and that's okay. I can hurt for a few more weeks mm-hmm. because there's an end and even if you don't have, you know, a change coming in of state and whatnot, like this thing will end and this pandemic will end and we'll get back to some sense of normalcy. But these next few weeks and months suck. But good for us, we we thrive in that and we we can choose to get uncomfortable as as you've said a couple of times. And that's where that's where it goes from woe is me i have no control over this situation to i can choose to get uncomfortable and i can lean into this and accept that it's going to be like this cuz it won't be like this forever right and I, that's the work right there is that you ha- like becoming uncomfortable and we've heard this a million times right like i'm sure all the athletes listening to this and people hearing it's every time somebody you know, says like, just be comfortable being uncomfortable. It's like, well, yeah, but it's not, that doesn't just pertain to sport, right? Like that pertains to everything. Everything. And it's the most valuable lesson that I think I've ever learned. But oftentimes the discomfort isn't what you think it is. The discomfort is something that you haven't quite, sometimes haven't even explored yet. And the discomfort is something that may seem quote unquote silly or that's fine. I I don't even need to do that anyway, kind of, you know, mindset, but really it it could be the ticket, you know, it can be the thing that you lean into a little bit further each time. Um, And shoot, I I have so much to learn in this area too, because I look at my life and, yes, I've, I've been through a lot and, you know, I try not to do the suffering comparison game where I'm like, well, there's so many more people that have been through so much <laughs> more than I have, which I do every minute of every day. And, you know, which it's like, everyone's experiences are so unique. So what's uncomfortable to you is comfortable to somebody else, you know? So the only way to learn what's uncomfortable to you is learning what you're resisting and whatever you are resisting and whatever that is, is typically what you have well, not have to typically what you could benefit from leaning into. And 
it, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I've never thought about it that way. It's like the 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 analogy in training is like you don't train your strong suits, you train your weaknesses. So in life, it's the same thing, right? Yeah. And I think that in my opinion, and this is just my personal opinion, I think there's a lot of language shifts that could happen in the sporting world. Like strengths and weaknesses is one of them. I, I like to sort of think about it as resistance points and then comfort. <laughs> point. You know, It's like, if you're really good at something like, hell yeah, you're comfortable with it. I mean, why wouldn't you be? It's you're freaking good at it. And, you know, so if you can, if you can shift language, language is huge. Language is something we learn at a young age that our brains and our bodies adapt to literally on a physical and visceral and emotional psychological level. Like our bodies adapt to how language is spoken to us in words. And so if I were to say right now, what are your weaknesses versus what are you resisting? I can guarantee you those two things would bring up totally. some different, yeah, some different things. So it's like, to me personally, what are your weaknesses? That's like a category that we can list off easily and be like, okay, well, I'm not good at math. I don't really, I'm not really good at running. I'm not like the best at, like, maybe I'm not the best at listening or like, you know, like we can all rattle off like different qualities and characteristics, but what are you resisting allows us to dig a little bit deeper and figure out what is it that we are literally gripping so hard that we're not allowing any sort of change in. We're not leaning into at all. We're running away from, which goes back to what I was saying earlier, that which I resisted, I was just running from instead of sitting with and diving into it and being like, okay, I'm going to befriend this resistance. Because if you've ever read The War of Art or you know any Stephen Pressfield books, like, oh my God, <laughs> like you have to... Like, it's so eye-opening. You're just like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't even think of it this way, you know? Um, yeah. So. so what are you comfortable with right now? Honestly, I'm comfortable. And this is something that I think about with Rise. Uh, I get too comfortable doing the same thing over and over again with work. Like, it's time for us to, like, push push it a little bit. And so right now we're looking at different partnerships and things like that. So that's becoming very uncomfortable for me, uh, work-wise. Cause it's like, Oh, it's so easy to just do the same thing we've been doing over and over again. Uh, personally, what I'm uncomfortable with is, Oh, wow. This list could, <laughs> could go long. Um, I'm very uncomfortable, which is interesting. I'm very uncomfortable doing the same routine right now. Like I'm uncomfortable and also comfortable. So let me explain this. <laughs> I'm resisting change because of COVID, right? Because it's like, well, we yeah. can't. So I just can't right, do it. Right, right. Um, but I'm also really comfortable in my little basement routine with my dumbbells and, you know, which I love, but it's like, I would be so uncomfortable right now walking into a karate class, for example. This, I'm just giving a small, you know, right, right, right. style example. But also, like, so, so a lot of times I sort of waver on this path of like routine is really good for me, but I get really comfortable with my routine. 
And I need to be uncomfortable to a place where I can step out of that and put myself into a different realm. Um, And that's, there's nothing more I want right now. I really want it, but it's really damn uncomfortable. And I'm resisting that entire process because it's like, ugh. then I have to like change my routine and my schedule and like all these things. And and it's just so laborious and that's so hard, but it's like, what am I going to do? Sit here and be angry at my routine forever then? Like I've got to do something about it. So I'm a weirdo and a lot of things are actually the same for me. Like what I resist is also what I want, you know, kind of going back to all that, that double way of thinking. Um, yeah, I have a very abstract mind with, with things, but that would be my biggest piece of resistance right now. It's just, you know, right in the present moment with our state of things in our world is this routine concept and like, how do I break this rut? But also I'm really damn comfortable in it. (laughs) I feel the exact same way. Like I have taken a fairly cautious approach in the last Mm -hmm. year and um, it feels safe. It is safe. And it's also, it's also the routine that's giving me discomfort. And like, I'm limiting what I'm doing and I'm limiting the things that I enjoy because I don't deem them as safe and the CDC doesn't deem them as safe, I guess. Exactly. Um, So, but, but that's an easy thing to fall back on. There are plenty of people taking risks. And so where's the, where's the boundary with safe risks? I don't know. I'm not a public health expert, but (laughs) um, I, I don't. I don't know what the answer there is. And, and like you, I've fallen into this routine that I wish I could change and I guess I'm going to change it. But um, yeah, for the last many months, it's been the same day in and day out that I like, but I don't love. Well, don't you think that once, so obviously the whole, like when the pandemic is over line is just not even, it's just a waste of time to even say, right. Because right. We, we can't predict it, but let's say when routine, when life shifts, okay, we'll just call it that when life shifts again, whenever that is, there's going to be a large amount of people and there'll be a lot of people that are thrown off by this shift because we've gotten so comfortable in our own routines. And so this just goes back to one of the lessons that I was explaining about what I learned from swimming and what I've applied to rise and what I've applied to my life in general is the ability to pivot. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was really weird for like a couple of weeks, but people pivoted like mothers. It was right there. Go for it. Like everybody was pivoting right away. Like, boom, this is life at home workouts. Can't do this. Like got to order my groceries online. You know, like you just pivot, like pivoting, was it was powerful. And I would bank to say that a lot of people listening to this podcast as well, like athletes, et cetera, handled quarantine like a champion. I mean, every athlete that I talked to was like, this is amazing because it's a controlled environment. I know how to change and pivot. I know how to deal with shit. I know how to work through things that are really difficult. I know how to handle things when it doesn't go my way. You know, I know how to come back from a failure, quote unquote, all these things that they're probably pretty used to. And I've, I heard a lot of athletes say that like, yes, it's, it sucked for a lot of reasons, obvious for obvious reasons, let's be honest, 
but for the most part, you know, we knew how to handle <laughs> obstacles. Like you just know what to do. It's like, okay, what's plan B? Boom. Let's do it. Let's get to it. Here we go. Like I got it. So that's going to happen again. And there will be a big wave of that again. And along with that will come a wave of discomfort because our nervous systems will not be used to that. And it will be a shock to everybody to have to put themselves back into an environment where it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much stimuli again coming from external, actual, tangible things versus the internet. (laughs) (laughs) I saw saw my chiropractor yesterday and his dog comes to the, um, his, his practice as well. And (laughs) talk about like, talk about like physical stimulation. Like I, I haven't seen many people indoors in months and now now i have you know a face-to-face conversation and a dog that's really cute and it was it was uh very overwhelming um yeah switching switching gears a little bit um did you train today i did i swam this morning actually why did you get why did you get in the pool because there was an open lane finally, and I was so excited. It's like the COVID protocols, like you go reserve the lane, the whole deal. And it's like, you know, I'm sort of a little bit not used to that. Like I'm just used to going into a pool and it being like available to train. And so I went because of that. And honestly, we, we swim Tuesday, Thursdays, but the ocean's pretty dirty right now because there was a really big rain. So we've been staying out of it. Um, and for psychological reasons, if I would have done any other land activity today, my body would probably have broken by noon. <laughs> I was so done. Like I needed the water therapy and the fluidity of the water so badly. Um, it really, really helps me recover. <laughs> yeah. This was one thing we talked, we talked about a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. And you convinced me to get into the pool and it was just so good. And, um, you were writing workouts and, uh, I was, I I went from not being able to swim a length without stopping to like besting my mile time in, in, uh, in, in like three months or something like that. You see, that's pretty impressive because for a retired swimmer to swim a mile is like a lot. You're like, whoo. Yeah. Got the whole mile in and like, I'll talk to Amelia or you or, you know, and you guys are like, yeah, I just did a mile and a half. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't even do a mile and a half. And, and so it's like pretty impressive, but I, I am a firm believer that everybody should swim um, or at least put themselves into water. Water yes. displacement is very important. Um you know, running in the water, uh, floating, all of those things are very, very important to recovery. And I stand by them 100%. You float by them. Um, so right by them. So your answer to the question of, did you train today was essentially yes, because you were grateful. Um, is how I interpreted it is, is gratitude something you practice intentionally? I do. I used to do morning gratitude every morning. Um, oh, right. Really, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. And I I was very abstract with it and I loved it. And then 
I had a really difficult time. Um, I had a really difficult time actually after my concussion and I stopped doing it and I started sketching instead because I was having a difficult time writing. I actually really had a pretty gnarly blow to the, to the skull. Um, and it like damaged some nerves for a while. So I was having actually having a really difficult time writing and formulating sentences. So I took a leave of absence from work and stopped and I started sketching instead and kind of got back to my roots. Um, and in that moment, I, I started practicing gratitude more through uh, doing things with my hands. Like I would think about things that I was grateful for while I was sketching or I would it was, it was interesting. I, I had a different way of doing, it. I'm very much a feeler and I do things by kinesthetic relationship to something. So, uh, I would just sort of practice my gratitude daily through that and walking meditation and flow yoga flows and sketching and drawing and things like that really brought me back to a ventral place to where I could see that versus just writing it down and then being done with it. Um, and it was a different way of doing it. So to answer your question, yes, I do just a different method of doing it um, than what I used to just write down in my list, which is still really powerful. And you got Amelia onto that now. As Actually, well, right? she was got me she... onto it. Yeah, she she got oh. me onto it. She sent it to me and said, Hey, you know, he's doing this thing. I'm starting it. So she got me onto it. Um yeah, she still does it. I love reading hers every morning. Let's talk about the relationship that you guys have. Um, it's it's visible on social um, in terms of the, I guess, gratitude that you share back and forth. Um, I feel it as well. Uh, I feel like I've learned a ton from from both of you. But talk to me about the dynamic with Amelia, who is... Um, uh, she's been on the podcast twice, and if you're tuned into this and you haven't heard either of those episodes, one of them, episode 97, was probably one of my favorite, definitely one of my favorite episodes. I don't remember the number of the other one, but it was January of 2020, and it was uh, it was a gem. We talked about um, should you define happiness, and is that something worth pursuing? Um, so just you know, <laughs> surface level stuff. Um, but talk to me, talk to me about that relationship. Yeah. So, you know, it blossomed off of just having a very similar, uh, background in life, very different, but very similar, just being endurance athletes and being women endurance athletes just sort of clicked as friends. We're, we're very similar and we're also very different. So we're able to learn a lot from one another's experiences and, and being in different sports as well. Um, you know, we actually, to be quite frank, we're each other's rocks through a lot of, gosh, I, I mean, everything like injury and relationships and moves. And um, we just have a really strong communication. And I think something that we've both evolved in and that we're really working on right now that we finally sort of tied the thread in is just the different uh traumas that we've both been through that are different, uh, that we bonded over as well, that we're now learning how to let go of. That's very painful. And there's a lot of grieving in that, um, and working through that. So it's sort of been this healing journey 
to support one another's experiences is how I look at it. And obviously a really fun friendship (laughs) alongside of it, but there's been so we're just deep humans. We talk about everything, literally everything. Like there's nothing really that goes unsaid to one another about our lives, which is pretty (laughs) really, really special. Um, and a friend. And I, I think, you know, finding really good girlfriends in your thirties is a powerful feeling. Um, and I found some of my best friends in my thirties and I'm really grateful for that. So uh, I think I met Amelia when I turned 30 actually. So I'm 34 now. So maybe a little longer than that, but no, yeah, that's about right. So yeah, our, our dynamic is very, uh, fluid and communicative, based on healing, to be completely honest with you. And I think that's special because it wasn't surface level. It wasn't just silly, you know, uh, circumstantial friendship. It was a deeper kind of curiosity for what we could do, how we could heal through our bodies and all of the the pain that comes with that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I'm going to ask. Yeah. Um, speaking of deep conversations, I'm going to ask you a question that I asked her as well. Um, why are you here? <laughs> here on this planet? Yes. Or here on this podcast? <laughs> no, no, no. We know we, the last, <laughs> last 60 minutes have, have answered the, the latter question. I want to know the former. <laughs> uh, honestly... I say honestly a lot. I apologize, y'all. Uh, I I feel like I am this. <sighs> Everyone's going to laugh, but I'm going to say it because this is my work, is that I have to <laughs> practice saying these things because I have always felt very different in my life and very, I know that we all feel that way, which is a very universal experience. I've always, uh, I've, pretty much felt awkward and different and very um, strange. Like I wasn't understood for so long because I'm a feeler and I'm intuitive and I'm, I feel like I'm like a generational healer for my family. And this is a a weird thing to say, but I, I feel like I'm able to clear a lot of things that have been the same for a very long time, like generations ago and not that they're bad. I think it's just time for a shift. And I feel like, you know how there's always those quotes, like there's like a black sheep that just sort of carries the change for, for their loved ones and their families and their, their closest people. I've, I've sort of started to realize that you know, I was always like the moderator, the mediator, like the one in the family that was like, guys, like, you know, and I, and I, I love that role, but I'm also learning that I feel like I have just a different superpower to sort of be the change and make a shift in healing some things that, that could be healed within my immediate circle and my family and pass that on to the next generation in a way. So deep, but I, I do believe that there's some people that could probably resonate with that. Um, I think a lot of us right now in our thirties could probably resonate with that from our previous families and worlds and all of the things that have been conditioned up until now. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> abstract. That. But that is why I am here. I just, I really feel like I can make a big shift and a big change in the way that people feel and connect with themselves on an intuitive level and not just on a logical level. Very cool. Um, so you've shared a lot about yourself in the last 60 minutes. Um, I think my last question, I could go for hours, but I think my last question is, uh, what do you wish people knew about you? I'm a pretty open book, but I feel like I wish that they knew that I was sensitive. I think a lot of people don't assume that I'm sensitive, like very sensitive, highly sensitive human. They assume I'm like some badass that's like gone in the Olympics and lifts all these weights and throws all these stones. And I'm very sensitive. Like I'm a very sensitive human. And I find that to be something that I'm just now learning as a superpower. I've always been very ashamed of it. Um, and I feel things from a million miles away. I can feel shifts literally in the energy of the earth. Like I feel earthquakes before they happen, like five minutes before I'm like on edge walking around my house and there was an earthquake. It's like, I'm just weird. I think I just, <laughs> I like being weird, but I, I wish that I felt understood there. And I wish that that could be embraced maybe a little more than, um, labeled like, Oh, you're just sensitive or, you know, things like that. Like that it was embraced as a superpower. Um, well, it definitely yeah. sounds like a superpower. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really am learning that it's okay. And even on this podcast right now, I it's these podcasts are so important to me, but I also get off every time and full vulnerability I'm like, Oh, I feel so silly. I just talked about myself for an hour and who wants to hear about me? Like there's so much going on in the world. Like it's so silly, you know? And then I remind myself like Caroline human, be more human, like human connection, like, allow yourself to just be who you are. And because the amount that I do this for others and want to hear about others experiences and others lives, it's like, I love that. And I hope that people can, you know, take from, this conversation or any of the things that I've talked about in other podcast conversations and just apply whatever they want to their own life and feel seen for their experiences in that way. Like that's my greatest wish, but I get so sensitive about it because I'm just such a feeler. I just want to make sure that everything is okay. And, and so I'm working on that being a superpower and not something I need to like be ashamed of and things like that. Awesome. I love it. Um, this, this is super fun. Uh, huge bummer that it couldn't have happened as we originally planned on my drive to San Diego and stopping to see you and chat for a few hours. But um, we have that to look forward to at some point in the future. And thanks yeah. so much for, uh, for for taking some time today. Absolutely. We can do a round two. No problem. Deal. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, well, Jonathan. Of course, if people want to follow along with your journey, where can we find you? Yeah, so I'm a one-trick pony with social media. I I have uh, Instagram for all three of my things, my personal, Carol Burkle, my work, Rise Athletes, and my art, Caro's underscore designs. 
um, or design. <laughs> no, it's, and I, I do have Facebook. I do have Twitter. I'm just, honestly, I'm the worst at checking them. So I should do a better <laughs> job of that. I, I'm having a better boundary with social media lately and really trying to get on everything. But uh, those are the main places you can find me and my website. And uh, that is in my bio of my, of all, all the websites are in my bios of my Instagrams. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.